the power of those words are not because things go well all the time. The power of those words are because even when it isn't well in appearance, it is still well with my soul. Because my relationship with him is not dependent on circumstances. My relationship with Christ has nothing to do with the news headlines to which everyone said, Amen. <laughs> it is not dependent on the circumstances, the weather, the stock market, or how well or poor my team played yesterday. It's purely dependent on my relationship with him. That's why the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace could have sung that song. That's why Daniel being thrown in the lion's den could have sung that song. That's why David being pursued could sing that song. The question is, can you sing that song? Do you have that hope? As we've been looking at for a few weeks now. That the hope that is in Jesus Christ, the hope that is available and all those definitions we looked at last week. And I heard one this week from a child that said, hope is not having to give up. Hope is recognizing because of who he is, <laughs> we can't lose. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me. In the passage we were in last week, since if you were here or paying attention online, we didn't get finished. Well, I didn't get finished, which meant you didn't get finished with this message. And I tried to give you that picture of hope from uh, our son playing t-ball. And realizing that there is no hope greater than a t-baller who realizes the other team can't catch or throw it any better than we can. So just keep running. Hope really can spring eternal. And it's easy to say that when things are going our way. But it's vital to say it when they're not. Because that's when hope really matters. That's when hope is needed. To understand that God has said through Jesus Christ, we can have a living hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then down to verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Just time out a second. I want you to say that word, action. Action. Okay, let's do it this way. One, two, three. One, two, three. Action. Preparing our minds. That also means our hearts and our body for action. Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions 
of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also must be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. This is looking at the actions of hope. What does it look like to live in, act in hope? What do our actions look like? The actions of hope, just to remind you, begin with your thoughts. Verse 13 tells us that. For your actions will follow your thoughts. I told you my dad's phrase on that, that how your thoughts matter. And he said, for some of us, we need to get rid of our stinking thinking so that our actions don't stink. Our thoughts are ahead of our actions. And if we want the right thoughts, then think on God's word. Philippians 4, 8 and 9, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. For you've got to choose to believe in hope. Hope is available, but you have to choose to follow it. You have to choose to act in it. You have to choose, first of all, to believe in the hope of Christ. Secondly, we looked at this, that the actions of hope must be grace-filled. Verse 13 tells us, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hope, faith, and grace are all interconnected. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing. It is the gift of God. One of the questions that I posted last week that's still there this week how grace-filled have your actions been this last week? I love to ask that question. I hate to answer that question. Because as we sat and kind of reviewed this, Jody and I, she looked at me and said, so how grace-filled have your actions been while you've been driving this past week? I did not like the way that question was phrased because I didn't like the answer to that question. But I need to keep asking it. Not just in those moments, but in the everyday moments, in all our moments, in all our actions. We should be known by our grace. Third, this is kind of where we Stopped last week. The actions of hope are obedient to the call of Christ. Verse 14 and 15 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. What a phrase. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. 
being obedient to the call of Christ. See, hope is dependent on our obedience. We're not going to stay hopeful if we don't remain obedient. Because the hope is in Christ. And if we are following Christ, we need to follow Christ. See, to follow Christ is not to sing about it, it's to do it. Which may include singing about it. To follow Christ is not to wear the jewelry or the t-shirts. It's to live it. To follow Christ is not to have your car radio tuned to the local Christian radio station. It's to actually live it out. Our actions need to be obedient to the call of Christ. For this is true. Going against the known will of Christ will shatter hope. When I know what he wants me to do or not do. When I know what he wants me to say or not say. And I go against it. My hope is lost. Because my hope is in him. That means following him. For we have to understand this. Obedience is more important than knowledge. Let me say that again. Obedience is far more important than our knowledge. For most of us, our knowledge far exceeds our obedience. And that's where our struggle is. See, full obedience is the way of Christ. We have to understand that when we attempt to act on partial obedience, we're really trying to negotiate with Christ rather than follow. Oh, I never negotiate with him. Yes, you do. So do I. See, that negotiation is when we know what we're supposed to do and we go, Lord, how about if I do this much but not that much? Negotiation is when I know what I'm not supposed to do and I go, well, how about if I do just this much but I won't do that much? I didn't figure there'd be any amens at that point, but... <clears throat> When we partially obey, we're attempting to get God to conform to our will instead of us following his. What kills me is how often I do that. What helps me is that his Holy Spirit is faithful to correct when I do that. It's up to me to take the correction. But partial obedience is not obedience. If I claim to follow him, but I'm following my will, I'm not following him. I've just put a label on it. I'm just wearing the shirt. See, obedience matters. And the more obedient I am to the known will of God, what his word says, what he's shown me, what he's called me to do and not to do, 
the more obedient I am to that, the more hope I have. Because it just works better that way. I've shared uh, with some of you before, my dad telling me one time about, uh, after I was in ministry, about early in his ministry, there were times in services, and some of you remember moments like this, and oh Lord, bring them back. When a service just kind of took over and stuff happened and he didn't get a preach. And he said what bothered him about that was that it seemed to happen when he was the most prepared to preach. He said, man, I wanted to preach that. And he said, there were some weeks when the week had just fallen apart and my preparation wasn't what it should have been. And on those mornings, I prayed, oh, Lord, do it today. And he said, it never happened. He said, then finally, I realized there was a connection between my preparation and obedience and God's movement. That's true for each of us individually as well. When we're wondering where he is, he's wondering the same thing about us. Because when we're wondering where he is, it's usually because we've drifted. We've not obeyed. Hope is strengthened. Hope can overwhelm us when we're obedient. The actions of hope literally point the way to holiness. Verse 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Most of us have retranslated that into our own version that says, But he who called you is holy, you also be holy in some of your conduct. But this says, in all your conduct, since it is written, you be holy, for I am holy. The actions of hope should point the way to holiness for others to see, because Jesus Christ is holy. But because he is holy, that means we can live holy, hope-filled lives. Because he's called us to follow. And if we follow his way, his will, his call, his pattern, then we can live holy lives. But we must surrender ourselves to do that. We must surrender our will to his will. We must surrender our plans to him. But we do this in exchange for being filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. When I exchange my will for His, the Holy Spirit can fill me. When I exchange my way for His way, the Holy Spirit can guide me. Then, we follow His will and His plans. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Some translations say a new creature. The old has gone, <clears throat> the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
Listen to this from the amplified version of that same verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is grafted in, joined to him by faith in him as your savior, he is a new creature. I kind of like that as opposed to creation. Because a creature we know is living. He is a new creature, reborn, renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, that is the previous moral and spiritual condition, have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Because of spiritual awakenings, it brings a new life. In accepting Jesus Christ, the old goes. So why do we keep trying to bring it back? The new has come. A couple of years ago, we got some new furniture for our living room. Before it could be delivered, unfortunately, we had to get rid of the old furniture. Because the new furniture wouldn't have fit. Because the old furniture was there. Now, it would have been ridiculous for us to buy the new furniture, have it delivered, and when they came, said, just put it on the old stuff. I mean, it would have looked really bad. It wouldn't have set well. And it would have been, don't tell your kids I said this, stupid. Every time I say the word stupid, I always have some kid come up and go, we're not supposed to say stupid. I don't know a better word. It wouldn't have made any sense. We had to get the old out so the new could come in. But too many times, we're trying to let God come in and fill us by just adding to us and not allowing him to get the old out. And then we have that war that's in Romans 7. The good I want to do, I can't do. The, the stuff I don't want to do, I keep doing. This tug of war. To be holy, we can live holy, hope-filled lives. But we have to recognize we are a new creature, a new creation when Christ comes in. Why would we want to follow him if we're still the same old self? And then, the actions of hope when we're living that holy, hope-filled life. Then the actions of hope will look like the hands and feet of Jesus. There's a picture. It'll look like the hands and feet of Jesus. Now, make sure you really get what that means. Because the hands and feet of Jesus after the cross were scarred. That means if we're the hands and feet of Jesus, there are going to be times we get stepped on. There are going to be times we get scraped up. But to be hope-filled... To be holy, filled with his Holy Spirit, to be the hands and feet of Jesus is such a beautiful and worthy thing. 
To be the hands and feet of Jesus means we're going to look compassionate because we'll be compassionate. We're going to look compassionate because we're going to have compassion on and for others. If we're looking like the hands and feet of Jesus, we're going to live sacrificial. Because that's what Jesus did. Sacrificial is not me just giving tokens of my time, my ability, or my money. It's to sacrifice. To sacrifice some time, to sacrifice some comfort, to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those who need that. To be the hands and feet of Jesus will mean that we are, get both of these words now, joyfully generous. Joyfully generous. A layman one time in talking about stewardship and giving, he said he used to hear that phrase, you need to give until it hurts, and he said he realized he had it backwards. He needed to give until it felt good. Then he was being joyfully generous. It feels great to give of ourselves. To give, to see Christ magnified, glorified, and spread around the world. Oh, sometimes that means I don't get the extra scoop of ice cream. I don't need it anyway. Sometimes that means that some of what I might have desired isn't what I get, but then my desire is supposed to match his desire. And then I do have joy as I share as I help, as I serve, and even as I give. The actions of hope start with our thoughts. If that's where your struggle is, ask God to change your thought life. Get in the Word. The actions of hope need to be grace-filled. Check all your conduct, as the Scripture said. Even driving in traffic. <laughs> The actions of hope are obedient, not partially, but obedient to the call of Christ. The actions of hope point the way to holiness in our life and for others to see. And the actions of hope will look like the hands and feet of Jesus. Do your actions demonstrate hope? If you were graded for this last week's actions... Would it have shown and demonstrated hope to others? Are others reminded of Christ because of your actions? Do you need to change any actions so that your life points to holiness? For that to happen, you've got to surrender. To surrender, you've got to let go of those questionable thoughts, of any questionable actions, of any questionable habits. And we've got to confess any known sin. We've also got to forgive anyone, underline the word anyone, who has wronged us. And we must witness of this change so that others see it and hear it. I don't know about you, 
But this series has been encouraging and convicting both. I suppose that's really how they all should be. But I want to live more hope-filled. And that's going to be measured by what I do, what I say, how I live. So I've really been asking the Lord to show me where my actions don't match hope. Where my actions don't point others to Jesus. Where my actions are less than holy. Because I want people to see Jesus because they've seen what I do. What's he saying to you? That's the beginning of next week's sermon, by the way, and she doesn't even know it. <laughs> because hope lived is hope multiplied. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to see some hope multiplied. I'm ready to see not just us, but here changed. We have an awful lot of hopeless people around us. It's time that we lived it and showed it so that lives would be changed, so that eternal addresses would be changed. That's worth it. Jesus, thank you for your call. Thank you for reminding us when we're obedient. Wow, you do awesome stuff. So Lord, check our hearts where we've been partially obedient. May we confess and change. Check our hearts where we've been less than grace-filled. May we confess and change. Check our lives where we're not living holy. May we confess and surrender so you'll change us. And Lord, may we as a church body live this out as we leave here as well as while we're in here. Lord, I'm praying in hope believing that you are going to do miraculous things this week as we live in hope. I pray and plead these things in the hopeful and holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.